together. Father God, thank you that we get to be in such a beautiful day on this day, to be able to worship you on this Sunday, to be able to celebrate your goodness as our great physician. We pray for anybody in the path of this fire, God, that you will keep them safe. We pray especially for the firefighters. Lord, I cannot imagine in heat like this, wearing what they wear, carrying what they carry, doing what they do. God, I pray you'll protect them, keep them safe, Lord, and, and give them a, a, just an incredible sense of your presence and your peace. Bless all those that are blessing them and encourage them as well. Father, I pray now that you'll speak from your word into our lives, that we'll hear from you directly and specifically, that you give us that word of encouragement that each of us needs wherever we are in our lives this day, as we love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've probably seen in the news that these days in the evening sky, five of the planets in the solar system are visible. You can see, if you know where you're looking, over toward the east, shortly, I think, after sundown, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn are visible to the unaided eye. I haven't tried this, but they say that Uranus and Neptune are visible by binoculars as well. Has it been that way in that kind of arrangement for a number of years? I think I read it won't be in this arrangement again until 2042, something like that. So write that down, and in 20 years, we'll see if that's true or not, all right? Uh, just a reminder, as you look at that part of our, nearly, I guess, our solar system out there kind of on display, it gives us a sense just of how massive the heavens are. You look at Venus. I thought about this the other day when I was out walking, and there's Venus, this kind of bright dot up there, and there's the moon over there, and the moon is so much larger than Venus, but I went home and looked it up. Actually, Venus on the left is more than three times larger than the moon. It's just perspective. And that's Venus, our nearest planet, just perspective. Did a little more research. Turns out that our sun is one of, I think I can do this, 100,000 million suns in the Milky Way, our galaxy. And the Milky Way is one of two trillion galaxies in the observable universe. And God says he measures all of that with the palm of his hand. Isaiah 40, verse 12. So now what's your problem? <laughs> right? All of that with the palm of his hand. Our problem, at least some of the time for me, a lot of the time, isn't so much the omnipotence of God. I believe all that. I believe he created the heavens and the earth. I believe he spoke it into being. I believe he is the God of all that is. I just want him to be the God of all this on my timeline. I want him to do it when I want him to do it, the way I want him to do it. I don't doubt that he can heal, whether it's my back or it's your issue or whatever it is. I don't doubt that he can do what we want him to do. I'm just not sure he's always willing to do it the way I want him to do it. On my timing, on my schedule. And that may be where you are today. It may be you're praying about something God doesn't seem to have yet answered. It may be that you're dealing with something God doesn't seem yet to have helped. You might have been dealing with back issues for eight years like me, and you've been praying for eight years for God to heal, and he hasn't so far done that. It may be you're dealing with something else in your marriage or your family or your work or your finances in this economy or whatever it is. And you know God created all of that. You're just wondering why he isn't doing that in your life. And you're having a hard time trusting his timing. Well, let's talk about that. 
One of my favorite stories in the Bible. I was praying this week about what I had to share with you today, and this came instantly to mind. And so and I wasn't thinking about it at the time, so I really think this is, this is God's word for us. This is God's story. This is God's message for us. We're in John chapter 5, Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 1 says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John doesn't tell us which feast of the Jews. There were five choices. Purim is in March, Passover is in April, Pentecost is in May, Feast of Tabernacles is in October, and Feast of Dedications in December. Well, since as the story unfolds, everybody's outside, probably was springtime, probably Purim or Passover, so probably March or April, around AD 28 or 29, something like that. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's 2,474 feet above sea level. Everything else is way below that. Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. So no matter what direction, you have to go up to Jerusalem. That's why the Bible always speaks of going up. We think of up as north. In their culture, up is up. It's elevation. And so Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, John says, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. So the Jerusalem of Jesus' day looks like this. Can you all see the dark greenish kind of that's the best map I could find that's what Jerusalem will look like in Jesus day ignore the yellow stuff that was after the time of Christ on the rest of the map now I'm sure you can't read it there let me see if I can get this to work let's I'm sorry sweep right okay well oh point there there we go is that working back there Well, it's working here. Anyway, nonetheless, uh, see the temple. The temple's the pink thing, the pink uh, rectangle there. Just above it, I can read it, but I'm sure you can't from back there, it says Sheep Gate. That's one of the gates into the temple precinct, all right? So around the old city of Jerusalem, there were seven gates. There were seven gates today. In those days, you didn't have big armies. You didn't have national militias. So you had to build walls around cities to protect them. Then you had to have gates to get in and out, and the gates had to be protected. And the gates were named things, so you know where to meet somebody. Well, I'll meet you at the Sheep Gate, or I'll meet you at the Zion Gate, or meet you at Jaffa Gate. When we take people to Israel, the day we go through the old city, we say, if you get lost, meet us at Jaffa Gate. And that's kind of like saying, meet me at Main and First Street, or something like that. Well, it's named Sheep Gate because that's That's where the sheep were brought into the temple precinct itself. All right, that was just a gate in Jesus' day. And just to the north of it, in that kind of yellowish area, you see that rectangle. That's the Pool of Bethesda. It's one of the major pools around the temple area. It's where ritual cleansing happened and lots of uh, ritual purity things, that sort of thing. This is what it looks like today. We take people there. The spring has dried up, for the most part, that fed that pool, and churches got built there over the centuries. Those are primarily the ruins of Crusader-era churches, 1,000 years old, that were built in this area. But in Jesus' day, that's what it looked like. That's what the Pool of Bethesda looked like. It's trapezoidal, if that's a word. It's 165 to 220 feet wide, 315 feet long longer than a football field. As John says, it has five roofed colonnades. It's got a perimeter, you can see, and then one in the middle that bisects it. And it's fed by a spring in Jesus' day. Massive, massive pool of water. Well, in Jesus' day, there was a tradition, you might call it a superstition, that as this spring fed the water, if the water bubbled because of the spring, 
the first person to get in would be healed. That was just kind of a tradition of the day. They even thought an angel came down and stirred the water. And so invalid people with, uh, with physical needs would gather around this pool. Now, partly it was for what I just said, to get in the water first. Mainly it was because this was a major route into the temple. So people would go into worship and they would see these people and they would give them money. It's just like you see people today that gather around churches hoping that religious people will give them money. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, you may remember the man that was born blind, born lame, rather, that was outside the gate called Beautiful, begging alms of those going in. This was a major route for religious people to get into the temple, and so those in need would gather around this pool as well. They had access to water, they had shelter there, and they could beg for alms on the way by. All right? So that's what's going on here. In, this, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, and that's why. So they could get in the water. We'll see that in a second. And so they could ask for help from those coming by. The text says one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this man has been here. His entire adult life, you would think, if not even longer than that. Jesus saw him lying there. He knew he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed. Now we'll start with the obvious. That's a strange question. Do you want to be healed? But not everybody does. If he's healed, he can't make a life at begging. He's got to go get a real job. Everything could change in his life. Everything could change in his family. Not everybody wants to be well. You maybe have had that frustrating experience with somebody in your life who doesn't want to get on the other side of addiction or doesn't want to get on the other side of whatever issue is in their life. And Jesus won't force this on us. In Revelation 3, the Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone opens the door, he'll come in. He honors the freedom he gives us. He won't force his blessings on us. Come back to that in just a second. But I don't want us to miss this. Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there a long time. Now, how did he know that? Now, he could have known it by divine omniscience, obviously, could have just been revealed to him at that moment. But the far li- and I'm not denying that could have been the case at all. God can do whatever God wants to do. But the more likely explanation, Jesus had come in and out of this area since he was 12 years of age and started going to the temple. This was a very common way in and out. This man's been there for 38 years. Jesus has been coming there since he was 12. So if you do the math, for at least 26 of these years, Chances are excellent that Jesus passed by this guy, but he didn't heal him. This is the third year of Jesus' public ministry, probably second or third year. So even in Jesus, that you could say, well, he wasn't yet active in his ministry. He wasn't yet healing people, wasn't yet doing miracles until he turned 30 or so, and that's true. But for at least a year or two of his active ministry, while he's been opening blind eyes and raising dead bodies and walking on water and healing lepers and feeding 5,000 and doing all of that, he's passed by this guy, but he didn't heal him until today. 38 years, God has known he was there, right? A lot of those years, God's son knew he was there. Some period of time, God's son is active in healing ministry and knew he was there. And doesn't heal him until today. Ask, do you want to be healed? 
The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up while I'm going down another steps down before me. That's that tradition I was talking about before where the spring bubbles up and they rush down and the first person in the water, they would say, gets healed. That's all he thinks Jesus can do for him. That's how little he knows about Jesus. And Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Three different miracles. He has been incapacitated for 38 years. His limbs have been atrophied for 38 years. Even if a surgeon could swoop in and fix whatever was wrong, maybe it was a back issue like mine, maybe it's something else. We don't know what it was, a stroke, something. But even if he could get up, to have the strength to take up his bed is a second thing, and to walk is a third thing. And Jesus, this is command in the Greek, commands him to do all three. And so... At once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. And Jesus gave the man far more than the man had thought Jesus could. But why then? Why then? If you're going to live a life God can bless, if you're going to live a life for Christ as your king, if you and I are going to live in a way that allows us to experience the abundant life of Jesus, there just are going to be times when we're just going to have to trust his timing. If you want a life God can bless, trust his timing. Make him king of his timing, even when that's hard. And I know personally that's hard. So if you're at a place where you're at the pool of Bethesda, and you've been there 38 years, and Jesus has been walking by, and he hasn't stopped, and he hasn't healed, and this story is your story. And if it's not today, it probably will be next week, right? If that's your story, some factors to keep in mind. Number one, you and I cannot understand the timing of God on this side of glory. The Bible says, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There are some things my finite fallen brain can't understand. It's not that God's holding out. It's not that God could explain it if he was just nicer. I can't understand. If I could understand God, he wouldn't be God. Or I would be God. Those are your choices. And so I'm convinced when we see face to face, when we're in the presence of God, things will make sense in ways they can't make sense right now. I think I mentioned before how perfect my grandkids are, right? Except when they beat me at Connect Four and Go Fish, right? But even as perfect as these grandchildren are, I'm not aware anyway that they're learning calculus and differential equations yet. Not that they couldn't. I mean, they're that smart, obviously. But if they were to claim that they came home from school having learned calculus, I would guess it might not really be calculus, probably. They're just not old enough. I'm not old enough. Never will be. Don't fully understand the ways of God. And so there are places in our lives where God's timing is not our timing. And it's not that he could explain it if he was just nicer. There are places we can't understand. And I'm so glad that's true. Mark Twain, that great theologian, said, if I could understand every part of the Bible, I wouldn't believe God wrote it. You know? 
I spent several weeks in Turkey doing some background work on a book on the seven churches of Revelation some years ago, and our tour guide was a Turkish Muslim historian named Ersan Ersu, and we had lots of conversation together. He was not willing to accept the category of the miraculous, of the mysterious. He wanted a religion that added up logically. Brilliant historian, master's in ancient archaeology. And I couldn't help him over the line. He struggled with Trinity. How could God be three in one? Our incarnation, how can Jesus be fully divine and fully human? Sovereignty, how can God be sovereign and we have freedom? How could God inspire the Bible and yet humans write it? He had the same questions we all do. And in his world, those questions invalidated our faith. In my world, those questions are the reason for my faith. If I could understand God, he wouldn't be God. There has to be mystery if my mind is finite and fallen and he's not. So that's one factor to keep in mind. A second, God is at work right now in ways we cannot imagine on this side of glory, in ways we cannot see. I had a friend say that we're looking at the parade through a knot hole in the fence. God sees it from the parade stand. I can only see the tubas. He can see the French horns, and he can see the flautists, and he can see the trumpet players, and he can see the whole thing. C.S. Lewis says, if you think of time as a line on a page, God is the page. So God's got a plan you don't know about. God's got a purpose you can't see. God's working on dominoes that are not apparent to you. And you're just part of a larger thing happening right now that we and you and I don't have the perspective to understand. I've tried to explain it like this over the years when men have struggled about God's timing in their lives relative to vocational issues and lots of conversations. I've taught a lot of men's Bible studies over the years. And knowing God's will relative to their vocations typically a, a challenge. And, you know, somebody's praying, let's say, for a promotion at work. Really praying about that, asking God for that. They need that financially. They need that for their career advancement, for their arc, for their trajectory. Frustrated where they are praying for this. And what they don't know, as I've said to them, what you're making this up, but what you don't know is the person in the job you're about to get promoted to is getting ready to be promoted to the home office in New York. But that's not going to happen yet because the person in that position hasn't retired yet, and they're going to be retiring in three months. And the reason they haven't retired yet is there is something relative to their investment strategies that's about to come due in two months. And that hasn't happened yet because the stock market hasn't yet moved for its, you know, and there's five dominoes down the way. And you can't see them. But God can. God's on the move and on the march in ways we can't see. This has been helpful to me personally. As you know, I've been dealing with this back issue for a number of years. We've tried lots of things, lots of different therapies. I'm resident scholar for ethics with Baylor Scott and White Health, and in that context, I was in meeting with the president of Baylor University Medical Center last April, a dear friend named Stephen Newton. He was asking how the back was doing, and I was saying, you know, we were talking about it. He said, well, I have a guy I'd like you to see. They had recruited him recently from California, named Ioannis of Ramos as the new head of the Baylor, Baylor Center, Baylor Scott and White Center for Spine and Scoliosis. Had just recently recruited him from California and wished I would go see him. And so I did, looked at my last MRI from March, and he's the one doing the surgery this Friday. Two previous surgeons would not do this. They said it was too large an operation, and they didn't want to do it. For him, this is no big deal. I saw a slide deck, a presentation this guy made to the Baylor board recently, 
reconstituting entire spines. He had one patient whose chin was on her chest and she couldn't eat because her neck was so deformed and he fixed that. For him, this is no big deal. He asked if you want fries with that. I mean, you know, this is, this is not a stretch. To my other surgeons, this was beyond what they wanted to do. To this guy, this is not his hardest day. He's going to have a light day next Friday with me compared to what he usually does. Had I pressed on surgery two years ago, he wouldn't have been part of the deal, and he wouldn't be my surgeon. And I'm so grateful now for the timing of God in ways I didn't know to be grateful just a few months ago. So I'm just suggesting that when God's timing isn't your timing, he's got a plan you don't know about. You will one day, and in the meantime, that's what faith is. One last factor. God is waiting for us to receive what grace wants to give. To each of us, when the Lord is ready to move in his own perfect timing and way, he asks, do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Do you truly want his best? Are you surrendered? Are you yielded? Are you ready to receive what grace wants to give? Because he can't give what you won't take. He can't lead where you won't go. There just come times when the real reason God isn't answering our prayers is we're not sure we want him to. Augustine, St. Augustine said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. And the real reason sometimes we say we're waiting on God. Really, he's waiting on us. I'm not saying that's the case for you, but it might be. Is there a place in your life where you're waiting because he's waiting on you? Those can be factors. George Mueller, one of the greatest prayer warriors of the 19th century, famous for the orphanages that he began, famous for the remarkable power of his prayers. There's the story about a time that he was on an ocean liner that was crossing the Atlantic, and they were so caught in fog that they had to stop because they couldn't see where they were going, and he was going to miss a speaking appointment, and the captain came to George Mueller to explain this to him, that they had to stop, that they were stuck because of the fog, and they couldn't proceed, and they were going to be late to New York City, and, and George Mueller said to the captain, I have not been late to a speaking engagement in 50 years. We're going to pray about this. So they prayed, and Mueller asked for God to remove the fog. And then the captain started to pray, and Mueller said, no, you don't need to pray. First of all, you don't believe it. You don't believe God will answer it. And second, I do. Go open the door. And the fog was gone. That's the kind of prayer life George Mueller had. But nonetheless, in his journal, he recorded in 1844 the names of five individuals for whom he was going to be praying every day to come to faith in Christ. Every day. Eighteen months later, the first one came to Christ. Five years later, the second. Six years after that, the third. Mueller died in 1898. In 1897, 52 years after he started praying, the last two came to Christ. Don't give up on God. Always too soon to give up on God. So, wherever it is in your life 
that you're needing to trust the timing of God. Understand, there are times we just have to trust his timing, believe he's at work in ways we can't imagine, and be certain we're ready for whatever he wants to give, knowing that what he wants to give is absolutely his best for us. Wanted to close with these lyrics by Babby Mason. I love this song. If I could sing, I would sing the song. You're really grateful I'm not going to sing the song right now. You may have heard the song. You might know the words or the, uh, the song tune in, in your mind. It's been out for a little while. But I love these words. All things work for our good, though sometimes we don't see how they could. Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you just don't see him, remember, you're never alone. God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Let's pray. Would you name your pool of Bethesda, the place in your life where this is your story, where you're waiting for God to do what God doesn't seem yet to have done. You're asking God to work in some way, to heal, to lead, to direct, maybe for you or somebody else. You might be that George Mueller praying 52 years for somebody else. So grateful he didn't give up after 51 years. Would you name that place in your life that you need to trust to God? Just name it. Be very specific and give it to him today. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you with and fill in the blank. Whatever that is, family member, health issues. Lord, I'm trusting you with. Say that to him right now. Now ask him to do whatever is best. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you for whatever is best. Just make that commitment to him right now. And then would you tell him that whatever seems to be the circumstance, you will trust his heart. Would you make that commitment? Father God, I join my sisters and brothers today in this act of trust and gratitude. So grateful the story's in the Bible. Lord, I know it wasn't there for the sake of the man that was healed. He'd never forget this. But for us, thank you that that story's there so it can be our story. Thank you because it is our story. And I pray, God, wherever we find ourselves, beside whatever pool of Bethesda is in our hearts, help us to know today that Jesus came by today. Help us to know that we weren't in this chapel by any coincidence. And that Jesus comes to us right now and asks, do you want to be healed? Lord, help us to say yes with gratitude for grace. In the name of our great physician, Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. God bless you. all have a great day.